Welcome to Step Up, inspiring stories from entrepreneurs and business leaders everywhere. And now here's your host, Dr. Margarita Gurry. Welcome to Step Up, where we learn from the best of the best in business. And now I'm so pleased to introduce your host, speaker psychologist, supporter of military families, and sassy grandmother, Dr. Margarita Gurry. Margarita, hi. Hi, David Wolf. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be doing a step up with you. And today we have an amazing guest who is the best of the best in business, Charmaine Hammond. And David, why don't you take it and do your beautiful intro? Because I love the way you do an intro. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Margarita. So Charmaine Hammond, she's an expert in building respectful workplace cultures, teams that work better together. She's a former correctional officer and dispute resolution expert where she dealt with and mediated some of the most difficult conversations and confrontations we can imagine. She learned that in many ways, the challenges behind bars were really not that much different than those that we encounter around the boardroom. She teaches us how to communicate for success, manage the courageous dialogues, and bounce forward. Charmaine, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's going to be be a great conversation. Well, with you, I know it will be. So let's get it started. Tell us a little bit about Raise a Dream. Well, Raise a Dream is about helping businesses raise their dream through collaboration, partnership, and sponsorship. And one of the things I learned in my very first career working behind bars as a correctional officer is that it was the most <laughs> uncollaborative workplace I ever experienced, but it gave me wonderful opportunities to learn how to create a different workplace culture. And so now Rebecca, my business partner, and I teach businesses and organizations how to collaborate effectively so the relationships are long-lasting, people can work through those tough conversations that we often avoid, and both people or all people involved in the collaboration can benefit. And so what is the key that, in terms of creating this collaboration? Where does someone start? Ah, oh, you know, the first place to start is choosing the right partners. And one of the challenges with collaborations is we often pursue collaborations with people that we know and like already, our friends, our family members, and which is a great place to start. However, if you don't have agreements around how you work together and how some of the bumpy spots will be managed, the relationships can break down. So the first place to start is find the right partners to collaborate with and then set up some kind of an agreement or terms of reference, something that will help all of the parties involved be able to work through those challenging times so that the relationship and trust isn't destroyed. What are the things that usually get in the way in terms of destroying trust? What gets in the way? Mm. Oh, that's a juicy question. Oh, thank you. Uh, we love juicy what? questions. <laughs> it is. It's a great question because if we know this in advance, we can plan for it not to happen. One of the things that gets in in um, in front of blocking trust is communication, either communication gone bad, communication that didn't happen, or communication that turned into a confrontation. And in relationships that we have with people already, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, we sometimes develop these patterns of communicating that work well in that relationship, but don't transfer over well when you're in some kind of a business collaboration. So the tip around that is to really make sure that the lines of communication are open. And I always say, if something feels weird, if something feels off, address it. Because there's a great quote by Judge Esty, 
who says conflict does not get better with age. It's not like wine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the longer you leave it, isn't that a great quote? <laughs> it, it, you know, it is a, it is a great quote. Um, so, but what do I do? Let's say that I'm in the business world, an entrepreneur or business leader in the corporate world, and I'm seeing that I'm having this horrible repetition compulsion, some some mm. repeated pattern that's not serving me well. What are the, some three specific things I can do to set myself on the path of courageous communications? Mm, great question. Number one is to prepare for the conversation first. Number two is to provide that feedback. So we prepare for the conversation. We provide p- feedback in that respectful, caring, or compassionate way. And number three, we follow up. And so when we prepare, my best tip around preparation, and this might sound a little silly, but it works, is to take a piece of paper and a Sharpie marker and write down in point form or bullet form the messages or the feedback that you want to communicate to this person. And then practice it in front of the mirror 10 times. (laughs) And the reason I suggest that is because you work through some of the emotional Uh, drama that we might be holding related to that conversation or to that person. And the other thing is that often people are nervous in these conversations when they actually get into the dialogue. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing or hurting the person. And if you've practiced over and over again and you get brain freeze in the real conversation and can't remember what to say, you've practiced enough that the words will come back to you. And then, of course, follow up, make sure that things are okay in that relationship. Well, I think that's brilliant. And the idea of accountability, I think um, in today's world, so many people are losing touch of the of the skills of being direct and accountable with who we are and what we say and even what we don't do and what we don't say. Um, I think that's just brilliant in terms of then what to do. There's been a big mistake. How do you start an Mm -hmm. apology that might be uh, critical to resolving conflict? Mm. Wow, that is something that lots of people struggle with. Uh, When they've made a mistake and they have to own it or apologize, sometimes they leave such a big distance of time. And then the other person is feeling that there's no caring going on and no respect. So I believe in addressing that quickly. And it might be a bumpy conversation. It might feel a bit messy. And people are generally very forgiving if you say, this feels awkward for me and I really need to to share this with you. So being upfront, being clear, you know, an apology needs to be well understood. Um, Just clearly taking responsibility. It's what I call doing the mulligan. For those of you that are listening that are golfers, (laughs) it's that do-over. I don't golf, but I love the term. (laughs) And so it's about when we make mistakes, owning them quickly and and doing the do-over so that the person actually hears what you intended them to hear. And I have found that people will appreciate the opportunity to have that clarified and the fact that you apologize for your role in the situation or how it left them feeling um, is really important. And it does not, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't want to take responsibility if it wasn't my part. And I think there's great value in saying, I'm sorry that our conversation left you feeling this way. You didn't say to them that I'm sorry I made you feel this way. Our conversation left you feeling that way. And I apologize. I think that's wonderful. It's about being gracious. So I see that you have this amazing book, The Bounce Forward. Tell me about Bounce Forward. And and I suspect that what you were just talking about is part of that. 
It is. And bouncing forward is my take on resilience. Typically, resilience is defined as the ability to bounce back after change and challenge and crisis and adversity. And uh, many, many years ago, after my boyfriend and I survived a near-death sailboat accident, I learned for my life that day that I wasn't as resilient as I thought I was. And that resilience is about coming through a tough situation and standing tall, brushing your knees off, and taking some kind of forward action, whether that's learning or growing or just moving. And that's when I kind of put a stake in the ground and said to myself and out loud to other people that resilience is really about bouncing forward. Well, you certainly have. I'm sorry for your harrowing experience, but I'm very glad that you bounced forward with that. I know that everyone's uh, and I benefited. I got married out of it. <laughs> ah, you married you like, married the, the you married the soggy sailor. <laughs> That's wonderful. I did. Uh, and and what is his name? His name is Christopher. Oh, that's nice. And how about your business partner? What's your business partner's name? And my business partner is Rebecca, Rebecca Kirstein, who okay. is a serial entrepreneur and one of the most uh, creative thinkers I've ever met. Well, I think of you that way. I'm looking up your stuff. You won the Mom's Choice Award. And I think, you know, for Toby, the pet therapy dog, can you tell us a little bit, speaking about resilience, a little bit about that? Yes. Well, we adopted a dog named Toby who was five years old at the time, and I fell in love immediately. And we brought him home, and he was perfect for six months. And then it was like his probation passed, just like in the workplace. Someone passes their <laughs> probation, and they turn into this other person. And you're wondering, where was the person I hired? Where have they gone? And that's what happened with Toby. He started destroying our house and costing us thousands of dollars and creating difficulty in our marriage. And we we through the help of a behaviorist, a dog behaviorist, Maggie determined that Toby was a dog who needed a job and a purpose. And she helped us get this dog who destroyed houses and broke toilet tank lids like crazy. <laughs> she helped him become a, an assistive animal therapy dog. And he worked every every Wednesday for four and a half years in a mental health facility uh, oh, in wow. in Canada. And the process of it going with him every Wednesday changed my life profoundly. And that's where the book, um, Toby the Pet Therapy Dog and his hospital friends and Toby the Pet Therapy Dog says, be a buddy, not a bully. That's where those were founded through that experience. And I'm sure that uh, Toby has a lot to teach people in the boardroom. Why is it so <laughs> these days that so many of our leaders do a good impersonation of being bullies on, on, on interviews and TV. Why, why are we in the bully impersonation culture? That's a great question. Yeah. That's a great question. And uh, you know, I I think one of the things that I see, because like you, I do a lot of work with corporations and with leaders. And one of the challenges is that often the frontline staff don't have the skills to speak up. They don't know how to provide feedback to their supervisor that that their behavior is uncomfortable, unwanted, and needs to stop. And a lot of smaller organizations don't have an HR, human resources department. So employees sometimes feel that there is nowhere to go. And accountability is huge. I, I remember one experience that just is so imprinted in my brain. Many, many years ago, I was working with a corporate client and and in doing the pre-mediation work, which means I met with all of the, the whole team separately, and everybody was describing this person as very much like a bully, that they were afraid to, to disagree and afraid to 
ask for input. And we changed the process from a mediation to a facilitation. And what was so profound to me was to watch this leader when his employees, one after one, would say how they were feeling. He broke down. And in all honesty, he had no idea that people were feeling this way. It was so sad for me to watch because years had gone on where relationships have been destroyed. But sometimes there are cases where a person has no idea how their behavior is impacting people. And if, mm-hmm. if the employees don't have a, a place to, to voice that and bring that forward and don't feel safe to do that, the behavior continues and people, you know, either leave or are hurt emotionally. And, and it can last a lifetime for some people. So it needs to be addressed. Charmaine, I was curious about the, the, the idea that correctional or being a correctional officer, there was a, a variety of situations you encountered there and that there was a lot of similarity to, let's say, a boardroom or a corporate environment. Talk a little bit about what some of those commonalities look like. And well, I, I remember my very first uh, workplace facilitation that I did, and I thought, wow, I feel like I'm back in jail 10 years ago. <laughs> it feels like the exactly. same conversation, yet there's no bars. And what wow. I discovered is that the, some of the similarities from the jail system that I worked in and the the professional corporations I worked with was that there was often this underlying and sometimes very overt sense of competition where it was an us against them or me against you or us against the management. So this competitive uh, undertone. And the other piece was that people were really positional in the jail system, including staff that I worked with, not just inmates. When they had a, a conflict, they were not interested in resolving it in what I would call a collaborative manner. It was a very positional, pointed conversation. And then fast forward to the facilitations I was doing corporately, I saw the exact same thing where people were less interested about building mutually satisfactory agreements. They were more interested in pushing their agenda um, yes. and getting people mm. to agree. And so that was really interesting learning. And the big discovery for me was that people are people. And so what we can yeah. do is help people develop the skills so we don't replicate that um, in in the other levels of the organization. You know, it's interesting. My first college teaching job was at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. And oh, I learned wow. more from those gentlemen than than uh, most of my teachers, um, other than Dr. Rick Snyder, on how to connect with people in the teaching world. Um, and certainly yeah. your lessons in that prison. What was the prison that you were in and teaching? That one was, on, yeah, Ontario Correctional Institute, where I was Ontario. a correctional officer. And then I found my passion. That was in Canada. Then found my passion working with young offenders in custody facilities and detention centers. And it's really interesting what you just said, that your lessons came from from the inmates. I found the same thing, too, that I discovered that, uh, you know, trust and respect, just offering respect to people uh, can actually change the culture in in that unit that I worked on in the the, um, center with the inmates. But the other thing was that, and you just nailed this, is that stories connect people. You were talking about stories. And that's where I found my ability to work with people differently really changed, that stories connect people, stories build trust. And leaders who are good at telling stories, um, getting their point across through a story or an experience, I have found build trust and respect far faster than people who just sort of um, talk. 
And luckily, there's so many amazing storytellers. We're going to have a few of them on our podcast. Um, Kelly Swanson, Dave Bricker. Um, we have so many these days that oh, yeah. are just amazing at teaching. So if somebody is starting a new entrepreneurial endeavor and they realize maybe they're not getting off on the right foot, what do you suggest to them in terms of setting the tone for respectful uh, collaboration? Mm, great question. I would say uh, I'm going to offer a tip that I didn't do myself. <laughs> when I started my business, <laughs> I jumped in with both feet. And I didn't discover the value of coaches until many years into my business. So I think when we start an entrepreneurial project or a new business, getting the right coaching from the beginning for all different angles of your business can really save you a lot of the painful mistakes that I experienced. And I've been in business 21 years and I've owned several businesses. But the other thing is to start to build standards of practice and policies. And a lot of times entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and small businesses think that policies and operating procedures are for bigger companies. And what I've discovered is that when you can communicate your vision for how you want this organization or company to run, the values that you want to ensure are instilled from the time that somebody picks up the phone to answer an incoming call or to dealing with issues that happen through the course of business, those policies set the tone. And it also provides an opportunity for employees to show up and give their best. So if someone wants to either start their business or be the best of the best in their businesses, how do they reach you, Charmaine Hammond, CSP? They can, thank you. They can reach us at raiseadream.com. And again, my name is Charmaine Hammond. And is there a particular phone number that you give out or you just want people to connect with you on your website? Yeah, there's a contact form on the website. People can go there. And also, we're really active on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, and we welcome people to include their their comments and their their questions there. So we have found that when one person has a question, typically a whole group of other people have the same question. It has been absolutely wonderful talking to you, Charmaine Hammond. And I have faith that you can help everyone be the best of the best in business. Please end with one amazing takeaway tip to help people shine. Oh, what a great way to end the conversation. The one tip I'll offer is if there's something that you need to own or an apology that needs to happen or, or just something that needs to be put to rest or clarified, just go out and do that. We carry a lot of stress around with these unresolved issues and things that have not been properly closed off. So I can promise you, if you just do the apology or do the mulligan, life will feel a lot easier and your stress will go down. I think that's beautiful advice. Oh, yes. And what do you do for fun besides have um, a, a lovely husband and, and Toby, the therapy dog? What do you do for fun? Oh, what do I do for fun? You know, I love being outside. I love to walk. We live in California in the winter, and uh, I just love the opportunity to walk on the beach and, and hang out in the sunshine. So being outdoors is one of my favorite places to be. And if it's near water, even better. And uh, do you still sail? I do now, but it took me seven years to get back on the sailboat. Well, <laughs> talk about resilience. That's amazing. So I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that you went. It's a slow process. <laughs> well, it, it can, but you hung in there, and I think that's great. David Wolf, anything you, you want to add, sir? I, I learned a 
ton from uh, Charmaine today and from both of you in this conversation. It was amazing uh, reminding our listeners you can uh, find more about Charmaine. It's uh, at CharmaineHammond.com. That's C-H-A-R-M-A-I-N-E, Hammond, like the organ, dot com. Uh, Charmaine, thanks so much for joining us on the program, and uh, we enjoyed having you. Thank you, Charmaine, and have a wonderful end of the year and a, a wonderful new year as well. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Step Up with Dr. Margarita Gurry. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit RedShoeInstitute.com for more information about Dr. Margarita Gurry and the work she does.